0: If you have your Bibles, turn them to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, if you would remain standing, please, we stand for the word down here. Amen. Praise the God. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Bible says, Ezra opened the book and the people stood up. Amen. And they stood up from morning till evening. I promise you it won't be that long. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 Um we're Reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible, we find these words. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Hallelujah. I want to talk today from this thought, taking a stand in perilous times. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Taking a stand in perilous times. Now, the dictionary defines the word peril as meaning serious or immediate danger. And there is no doubt that as we look at our current world circumstances, Christians, believers, are facing perilous times. Do I have a witness there? Be assured that peril in this world is Not a new condition for those of us who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, we've been talking about that quite a bit as we've journeyed through our series on 1 Peter. We've been talking about just how perilous the world in which we live in in is and how that compares to the exiles of Peter's day. So it's not a new condition. Those killed by the work of evil people simply because they stood for Christ remain too numerous for us to count. From the first days of the church until now, evil has sought sought to destroy the witness and even the lives of those who trust Christ for salvation. Missionaries like Abraham Thomas. Missionaries all over the world place themselves and their families in great peril so that people who do not know Jesus might hear and believe the gospel. I was reading the other day about a missionary that was killed who was taking the gospel to the Akau people in South America, a tribe in South America, his name was Jim Elliot. Now, just to show you how committed he was, he and four other missionaries were killed by the cow people. There was a, the cow people were a tribe that was, was really uh, just inundated with killing and murder. They would kill one another. They would kill their children because they got tired of taking care of them. They would kill, and, and, then, and then if you killed somebody, that person's family would come back and try to kill you. And, and these missionaries wanted to take the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel to these people. And one day they were lured out into into the river by by a a group of of a couple of of women who pretended like they wanted to get ministered to and all five of them went out there and then what happened was that the men of the tribe pounced on them with spears now jim elliot had a gun in his pocket and in that moment in that moment he was he wanted to reach in his pocket and get that gun, but they had made a commitment that they would kill no person that had not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they would, they would not react and kill any of the Akau people. And Jim Elliot died that day. And four other people. Because they wanted to take the gospel to a place where it had never gone before. They put themselves in harm's way. We today live in a perilous time, and yet it's difficult to get us to tell our neighbors about Jesus. Missionaries go into hostile places like the Middle East in order to share Christ they are constantly under attack and closer to home right here in America the christian faith is also under attack so much so that publicly announcing that you are a christian is like play, is like is likely to place you at odds with so many people in your world somehow following a god who defines the true essence of love, has come to be associated with intolerance and hate. Make no mistake, my brothers and sisters, this is a direct attack of Satan. Now, we can easily blame people, but the attack upon those who believe comes directly from the source of evil, which is Satan. We have an adversary. That wants to destroy every good thing about the witness of the gospel. Wants to destroy Christian people. Wants to destroy your testimony. One of the greatest powers that the enemy has is convincing us he does not exist. We believe in God. But also as you believe in God, understand you have an adversary who is the God of this world. Who wants to destroy all things that God has created. In fact, the Apostle Paul recognized this clearly as he wrote Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 and 12. He says this, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to, watch this now, stand Against the schemes of who? The of the devil. Now you always thought that people were scheming against you. <laughs> now. now you might be right. There might be some folks scheming against you. But let me tell you something. You need to understand where those schemes come from. You need to understand where that plan comes from. That plan does not originate in the people. But it originates in, in, the, in the heart of Satan. It originates in the source of all evil. Verse 12, he says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's who our struggle is against. If you're sitting here today, and I'm going to throw this in for free, and you're holding something in your heart, Against another person. Let me help you understand that your problem is not that person. Oh, you ought to get Yeah, somebody ought to give God praise right there. It's not the person that you're holding this in your heart. That's not your problem. The problem is, is that there is a presence of evil in the world brought on by sin. Now, there's no doubt that in our current world we are seeing right now an evil that is so pervasive, so inherently rotten, so disgusting that we shudder to even think about it. For example, just the other day I was listening to the news and they had a news story on about a female doctor, a woman, who who. To be a doctor in, a, in, in this country, you have to take what's called the Hippocratic Oath. And, the, and some of you have heard that before. The Hippocratic Oath means you've, you've taken this oath to do no harm to your patients. And this young lady sat there and enjoyed a lunch while talking about selling the parts of aborted Babies. When have we heard of an evil so pervasive in our society? In my lifetime, I cannot think of a time when I've heard of something so horrible as to take the parts of aborted children and put them on the market for sale as if they were nothing more than a pair of uh, of slacks or, or some clothes. What has happened to our culture? This, this sheer horror of how someone could be so perverted should be sobering to every one of us who are believers. If you had any doubt that sin wants to run the course of death, Make no mistake about it. These circumstances remind us just what happens when sin has its way. It ruins people and leads. To death. What kind of person would have no compassion, no heart to say that a baby protected by its mother's womb is not a viable and living human being. The only thing that child requires is the care of its mother. Its DNA on the inside has provided everything that it will be to come to a full maturity. And yet we slaughter children every day. You, ain't got it. you don't have to say a word. Every day we slaughter children in the world and we call wrong right. And we think that there's no judgment from God on these issues while the church sits silently, quietly, going about our business. It's all right. You don't have to say amen today. I'm... I'm, The Holy Spirit already hooked me up. I'm good. Get this, get this. We are in perilous times. The house of God can become comfortable. We can rationalize. We can say, well, you know, that's a a woman's right to choose. And I'm telling you right now that I, 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 I say this. Well, you talk about a woman's right to choose. What about the baby's right to choose? Amen. Amen. Some of you are really not going to like me right now, but it's okay. I still love you. <laughs> listen, listen what, what do you think that child will say if given a choice of life? See, let me help you understand some adult people. Adult people, your time to choose was before there was conception. Somebody ought to pray with me right there. So that, that, that was your time to choose. Your time to choose was to say, no, I'm not going to do this because that's not going to honor God. Especially if you're unmarried, that's your time to choose. We act like we don't know how babies are made. Nobody went to the baby store and picked out a baby. <laughs> I know you told your children to stork, drop them off, but that ain't what happened, is it? <laughs> Amen. So we live in these perilous times, and it's important that as Christians we have a clear idea. With that of which we are facing, we we face an evil so horrible, so intense, that even those who, who say they claim Christ are willing to accept sin in order to remain relevant in the eyes of the world. We want to be relevant. You have major denominations saying we're going to accept what is wrong in God's word simply because we want to be relevant. We don't want people thinking that somehow we're not relevant. Well, I'll tell you this. If God's going out of style, then I'm going with him. If the truth goes out of style, then I'm going with it. We, gotta, we have to understand, we should understand as believers that our job in this world is not to remain relevant, but to remain faithful to the Word of God. Now, we live in perilous times, and in Matthew 24, just so you won't think I made it up, Jesus speaks of these times. In Matthew 24, 24 verse 9, He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation." And put you to death. And you will be relevant. No, that's not what it says, is it? Huh? Just see if you're paying attention. You will be hated by all nations. Including the one you live in. Y'all didn't get that, did you? All means all. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate... We see that going on every day, don't we? And hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. There's a guy that's going around telling people that he's Jesus. And the worst part of that is... There are people that believe in it. He's going around saying to people, I'm the second coming of Jesus Christ. And somebody's sitting there saying, oh, okay. False prophets are going to arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But here's what I like. Here's what I like here. It says, but the one who endures... Oh, y'all ain't got this. The one who endures to the end shall be saved. And I tell you, don't worry about being relevant. Just hang on in there. He says in this gospel, the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Perhaps this is the most important time for the people of God to stand. To stand means to rise up, to be ready for action, to take a position of readiness. Faithful believers in Christ can no longer afford the comfortable position of sitting back and watching people be destroyed by sin, while at the same time, professing and declaring that we are persons filled with the love of God. The Bible talks about standing many times. Let me share with you a few examples of what the scripture says about standing. Romans 5 and 2 says, through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 15 and 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive, in which you stand. 1 Corinthians 16 and 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. I didn't make that up. That's in there. Act like men. Be strong. Galatians 5 and 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore. If you are free, act like you're free. Free people can stand up. Free people can hold their ground. Free people can stand firm because you're standing on the promises of an almighty God. Y'all going to make me black preach today, I'm telling you. Therefore, Philippians 4 and 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 15 says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. There is no doubt that our calling is even and especially in perilous times, is to stand for the truth of God and His Word. Is anybody here willing to stand? Is there anybody here willing to stand? Is there anybody here that says, no matter what comes, I am going to stand on the faith and the truth of God's word. No matter what goes on in this world, I'm standing on the promises of God. I'm standing on Christ. That's what we've been called to stand. The church has been like soft-serve ice cream. You ever had soft-serve ice cream on a hot day? You better eat that stuff quick. It's melting all over your hand. It's, It's soft. It doesn't hang around long. It turns from frozen to liquid pretty quickly. Well, look at what happens to the church. As soon as the devil turns up the heat... we start melting away you won't be able to come to gary and say you didn't learn that you have to stand you you won't be able to say that in truthfulness you and I'm going to teach you now. We're going to give you three elements, this, and this it deals with this standing firm. How do we stand firm as believers in these perilous times? How do we get that done? The first thing we must do: put your seatbelt on because this is going to mess you up. The first thing we must do is stand against sin. In our own camp. See, ain't but two or three people clapping right there. Because some of y'all is waiting for me to tell you what to do with unbelievers. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. That's not where you start. You start with the sin in your camp. Oh, you ought to ask Joshua about how to deal with sin. And what sin in your camp will do. When they went down to fight the battle of Ai, the Bible says that Israel lost. Why did Israel lost? Because there was sin in the camp. Ashan had taken something and hid it. uh, uh, An article that he had gotten from Jericho. When God said, destroy all that mess. He said, I'm going to hold on to this one thing. I see some of y'all getting ready to get set free right now. God has told you to destroy some of those idols in your life, and you say, Well, Lord, can't I just have one? Can't I just hold on to this one idol? So, so he said, See, sin in a camp will mess you up. Sin in a camp will have other people suffering for your mess. Oh, I wish I had somebody here. You got other folks that can't can't get received the blessings of God because you walking around in the camp acting like everything's all right and you're full of sin. In order to stand firm, we must first begin with the house of God. The Bible says that judgment begins in the house of God. You ain't standing firm if you're a Christian and you're in the club all night long. I don't if you like to dance, let me tell you something. We are dancing campus. You want to dance? Get out of one of these aisles and dance. When the praise of God's going on, get your dance on then. Dance till you get tired. Do it till you're satisfied. I wish I had somebody here. I ain't going to say whatever it is. Because some of y'all be out here trying to do the wobble. Time my pastor, that's the Holy Spirit wobble. <laughs> you, you, we have to deal with the sin in our camp. Because here's a question. How can we answer to the practice of sin in the world when we won't even say a word about sin in our own camp. Amen. You want to know why folks don't take you serious? I'm already in trouble. I might as well say it. <laughs> you can't tell people about the joy of the Lord. And how he means so much in your life. And you a shacker. Some of y'all. Some of y'all. I look at some of y'all. Y'all don't know what shacking is, do you? See. That's an that's a old school term. You know, when people were living together and they weren't married. They was going to say they was shacking up. See, see, some of us know what that means. We go back a little ways. See, I'm going to tell you something. You can't tell people about how good God is and you land around with somebody in your house that's not your husband or your wife. Just so y'all know, I think I said this over the past year at least one time, but since we got a year anniversary, I'm going to say it again. I don't visit Shackers. Don't ask me to come to your party. Don't ask me to come by the house or pray for you. Because I don't visit Shackers. Now, it don't mean I don't love you. But I love you so much that I'm not going to allow You to get away with thinking that somehow what you are doing is honoring God. Now, I say that with all humility because there is sin in my life. I wish I had somebody here. Shacking ain't the only sin. Let me just make that plain. It's a whole lot of stuff we do we don't have no business doing. I get on my wife's nerve more times than, oh, I wish I had somebody here. I'm amazed. Sometimes I'm amazed when I get up in the morning. Addison says she's still there. <laughs> I'm amazed. You still here? As crazy as I was yesterday, but see, I understand that, and so I say that to you in grace, in knowing that that there's a remedy for this. If you love somebody enough to share a bathroom, get married. You know, it don't get more personal than sharing a bathroom. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> All right, y'all through with that. Let me move on. <laughs> we, we, have to, we have to deal with sin in our camp. Now, let me show you how to gracefully deal with this because I don't want you leaving here today saying, I'm going to take my mighty Thor hammer and go beat sin out my neighbor. That's not what I'm talking about. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. He says this. He says in verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Now, now let's walk through this now. Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Verse 5 says this. You hypocrite. The Greek word there is hypocrites, and it's what the Greeks use to mean actor. In other words, you're pretending to be something that you are not. You want to be the Holy Ghost police and get the sin out of somebody else's eye when you ought to be arrested for the mess you do. doing. So Jesus said, don't be a hypocrite. Take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, how many people in here had a little surgery? A little surgery? Okay. Listen, imagine if the doctor showed up for your surgery, and he had on some dark glasses. I mean, it was dark. I mean, dark shades on and that kind of thing. And he said, I'm going to operate on you. No, not with them dark glasses, y'all. You better take them things off so you can see. you getting ready to cut me? Oh, no. Well, see, that's that's the analogy here. Because of your own sin, you can't see how to carefully and gracefully remove the speck out your brother's eye because your own sin is blocking your vision. Somebody just got set free right there. Watch this now. He doesn't say to leave that speck in your brother's eye. He says get your own log out first. God doesn't call us to help others remove sin. We just must remove, or to not help others remove sin, we just must remove ours as well. Now I want to help you understand, this is why so many people stay away from the church. Because we don't deal with our own sin. We don't deal with sin in our camp. We're too worried about whether or not you're going to tithe. We got to keep these lights on. All this nice air conditioning. 100 degrees outside. Nice and comfortable in here. We're too concerned about whether you're going to keep giving. And I came to tell you today, I'm not worried about that. The Bible tells me that my father's rich. Oh, I wish I had somebody here. In houses and land. And he holds the power of the world in his hands. So... So we, look at what this, this is why people don't want to be bothered with us. And Paul Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27. And he says this, and every Christian leader ought to know this inside and out. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. The word discipline means to teach. I teach my body. Oh, I wish I had somebody here. I teach myself and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We, in order to stand in perilous times, we must be committed to dealing with sin in our own camp. People will have a greater respect for you. In your walk with the Lord, when you let them know that as I share the gospel with you, I too am a sinner. Oh, I wish I had somebody here. Now listen, the second thing we have to do in order to stand in these perilous times, we must stand not only against sin, I can't, but we have to stand against evil in the world. When did the church ever be told by Christ to be quiet? when was when was that? i missed that packet that that passage i missed that that meeting where where we were told to be quiet the entire essence of the argument made by jesus in the sermon on the mount regarding the role he expected of his people stems from him saying that god's people are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world in fact he goes so far to say that a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid he says nobody gets a candlestick lights it, and puts it under a bushel. Why? Because light is meant to be seen. Light is not meant to just be talked about. Salt means to have impact anywhere it goes. You fool around, put too much salt on your food, what's going to happen? Ooh. It's too salty. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You are emerging cooks. <laughs> Maybe you haven't quite got there as mi abuela, but, <laughs> but but you are emerging cooks, and you're still experimenting. Amen. But salt always has impact. Light always has. Impact Wherever you go, people ought to see the light of Christ in your life. I'll be no doubt. you will not have to just go around announcing that you're a believer. All right, now. Amen. Amen. You know, you don't walk into a room talking about, the Christian is here. <laughs> I said, the Christian is here. <laughs> don't you live so that when people talk about you and they will they look and say well you say what you want they're consistent and they live for god i can tell right away that it's something good about this person it's something in their life that makes a difference when they come around. And so and so, this, you know, Jesus uses that to describe the church. God did not call us to simply passively exist while the world goes to hell. On the contrary, we should be actively influencing all those around us with the truth of God's word, starting in our homes and reaching our world. How did we get so afraid to speak out about evil? Here's my theory, because I know you're wondering. My theory is is that we've suffered from a poor concept of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So our discipleship paradigm is infused also, and it becomes poor, because it's infused by poor theological understanding. In other words, we really don't talk a lot about what the Word says that we ought to be in the world. But what we do talk a lot about is how to be comfortable. We do talk a lot about how to accumulate material things. There's a whole system of theology, and I I, I don't even really call it theology. It's a whole system of teaching that's called the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all, which is teaching you how to be rich in this world. Well, the reason is so you can ignore those who have need. God has not called us to ignore those who are in need. He's called us to lovingly seek to help everyone that wants to be helped. He's called us to be agents of transformation in this world. And yes, we must speak when there is evil around us. So now I've told you two things that we've got to do to stand so far. Deal with the sin in the camp. Deal with, deal with our sin in, in, in our... Uh, or deal with um, uh, uh, the, the, uh, word, the word of God and uh, standing against evil with the word of God. We've got to stand against evil. Those are the two things that lead us to this point. We know what we stand against. But the heartbreaking thing for the church today is that nobody really clearly understands what we stand for. Oh, that's going to catch up with you when you get home. See, we, we're, tell, we, we're quick to say we're against this and we're against that and we're against this. But what are you for? The last thing I want to hear from anybody that wants to be a leader is to tell me all what you're against. I need to know, all you are for Anything? Is there something that you support? Is there something that you're for? Is everything a negative? So what what should we be for? Here's how you must stand firm. By being for the message of the gospel. We must stand with the message of gospel. The gospel. The church of today has a gospel problem. We seem to ignore that we should be preaching, teaching, and living the teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is God's transformative message to a world lost in sin, and we are the messengers. Look at somebody and say, You're a messenger. You are a messenger. Now, whether you know it or not, it is not the beauty of our sanctuary that changes lives. It's not the melodious sounds of our soloists and our choirs that change lives. It is not even the oratorical abilities of our preachers that changes lives. The only thing that changes lives is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wish I had one witness there. We don't change lives by how we dress on Sunday. We don't change lives by our high and mighty attitudes. We don't change lives by gossiping about other people. We don't When I get to yours, just say something. We don't change lives with a negative and nasty disposition. We don't change lives by looking down on folks because we forget that the person we're looking down on used to be us. Oh, don't you look at me like you've always been saved. I'm going to read your mail in a minute, don't you? <laughs> See, here, here it is. The world needs less of our church show and more of our church go. Oh, you ain't getting this. Jesus commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. This was a command. It wasn't simply a suggestion. Go into all the world and teach all nations. Preach the gospel. If we are to stand in perilous times, let us stand with the gospel. Everywhere the apostle Paul went, He went with the gospel. He says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, I didn't get this thing from somebody else. I got it straight from the Lord's mouth. I got a gospel that's changing lives that came from Jesus Christ because he died on Calvary. We have a transformational message. It is clear that it is time for the church to stand. Our God is a God that calls people out to stand. He calls us to stand out and not worry about whether or not we're outstanding. God is calling us to come out and not worry about the outcome. Thanks be to God that when we take a stand in these perilous times, we are not standing Alone, We have a Savior who gives us everything we need in order to stand. I don't know about you, my brothers and sisters, but I stand knowing that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to my God. I wish I had one witness here. Y'all going to make me preach up in here. I'm so glad today that I stand knowing that I serve a mighty God. I stand knowing like David knew that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid Oh, when the evildoers, when they assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries, and my foes, it is they who will stumble and fall, though an army encamps against me. I wish I had somebody here. The war rise against me in this one thing, I will be confident that I, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. Is there anybody here that can stand firm? If you're not shame, get on your feet today and stand and tell the world I'm ready to stand. David says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. Is there anybody here that knows about the day of trouble? He'll hide me, he'll conceal me under the cover of his tent, he will lift me high upon a rock my enemies won't be able to climb high enough i wish i had somebody to reach me and then he says and now my head Shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer sacrifices of joy. I'll shout and tell the story that I made it by the grace of the Lord. I I, I I've come. I've come a long way. Yeah. One year ago today, yeah. we didn't know what this was going to be. And the story still isn't told of what we shall be. But we know that if we are faithful, and long shame, you ought to know this look around you. If we are faithful, if we stand firm in perilous times, God will deliver those who need to be saved. If we are willing to sacrifice ourselves, God will send forth people and bring them into His family. We're here today because of His grace. It is an amazing grace. It is a grace that finds us right where we are. If you're here today as our worship king leads us,